One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everybody, welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. I'm standing on the sparkling shores of the Solent, the piece of water that adjoins the English Channel. It's a strait that separates southern England from the Isle of Wight, one of the biggest islands of these, this little North Atlantic archipelago that I'm lucky enough to be standing in. It's a hot day. It's one of the hottest days of the year here. It's a hole, 30 degrees centigrade. Yes, listeners, in other countries, that counts as melting hot in the UK. And this is a good bit of water. I'm just looking out at the cows now where the first America's Cup was held. Never been held here since because Britain's never won the America's Cup. And the winner gets to decide where the tournament is held, the regatta. Looking down toward Hearst Castle in the west where Charles I was imprisoned by Parliament while they worked out what they are going to do with him before chopping his head off. To the east I've got Portsmouth, the towers of the gleaming spires of Portsmouth over there, Britain's premier naval base, HMS Victory. You all know about Portsmouth if you listen to this podcast. The Titanic sailed down this stretch of water on its maiden voyage out of Southampton. Mary Rose turned over just over there. And actually just where I'm standing now, we think is where Vespasian, when he was a general commanding a legion, where he crossed the Solent and conquered the Isle of Wight for Rome. Little did he know that one day he was wearing the imperial purple himself. He'd been emperor, but on Claudius' invasion of Britain, Vespasian was just legionary commander. And that brings us to the subject of this podcast. Look at this, I've actually got a relevant one this time. This is about Roman Britain, but it's not really about the southern tip of Roman Britain where I am now. It's the very, very northern tip. It's about Hadrian's Wall. It's about Vindolanda Fort. Now, people will have heard of Hadrian's Wall, of course, one of the great sites of the world. But what perhaps fewer people know about is the Hadrian's Wall was not actually just a static defensive line, but was a kind of defence in depth. It's the name given almost to a, a concept. There's defence in depth. There are cavalry patrols to the north, skirmishes, forts both behind and in front of the wall. And one of those forts is ex- extremely important Roman site called Vindolanda. It's one of the most important Roman sites anywhere in the former Roman Empire. It has some of the best preserved material anywhere from the Roman Principate. It is a, a, an absolutely remarkable place. And I went last year to have a walk around the fort. I was shown around by the legendary Andrew Burley and Barbara Burley. They are, you know, total rock stars in the archaeological community. And they took me around Vindolanda. So, way to go. so enjoy this podcast. It first went out as an exclusive bit of audio on History Hit TV. If you want to get our next fix for history, where we've got exclusive audio, hundreds of history documentaries, we've got the live weekly Zoom. It's with Susanna Lipscomb this week, the live Zoom. Hope people will be joining us for that one. And basically awesome, what can I say? If you want to do that, you can go and use the code POD1, exclusive podcast listeners. You just type POD1 and you get a month for free and then you get the first month, just one pound, euro or dollar. We've got a new podcast out at the moment. As We've got How and Why History. That's going well. Lots of people listening to that. We've got a new one out. It's called The Ancients. The Ancients with the legendary Tristan Hughes. He's, a, he's another history. He's from the history hit Stable. Tristan Hughes has got The Ancients going on. If you like ancient history, cool. 
this podcast might be for you. But if you love ancient history so much that you want detailed, detailed discussion of the wars of the successors after the death of Alexander the Great, this is the right place for you. You need the Ancients podcast with History Hits, Tristan Hughes, absolute legend. So go and check that out. And also remember, we've launched our History Hit World Wars podcast. So all of the podcasts we've ever done about the First and Second World War, it's all going on one feed and you can listen to that too. In the meantime, enjoy this little trip around Vindolanda. Andrew, great to be back in, in Vindolanda. It's been, it's been 10 years, man. You look like a day older. Oh, charming as ever. I feel about 10 years older because we found so much stuff since you were last here. So don't make it another 10 years before you come back. Well, I certainly will. And Barbara, thank you very much. You're the curator of... So are you in church? So how does the responsibilities break down between you guys? Uh, basically, he digs up all the stuff in his team. Um, and then it comes to me in the conservation labs. And then from that point, it's my responsibility to clean, um, preserve, and then display what we find. And let's, okay, so let, let's just quickly rehearse Vindlo. It's, it's a fort. It sits just to the south of, of Hadrian's Wall. How does, it, how does it interact with the defences on Hadrian's Wall? Well, it starts, as you say, before Hadrian's Wall. It becomes then a construction fort for Hadrian's Wall, so it's instrumental in the actual building of the thing. Then it becomes a garrison fort for Hadrian's Wall when they don't have forts on the wall. And even when they build those, it's in such a good spot. They think, ah, let's keep it. And they keep building and modifying it, and it becomes a really powerful base from that point onwards. And it even outlives Hadrian's Wall by going for another three or 400 years after the ball is abandoned. Now, obviously, it's a, it's a wonderful site, the, the, the stones, the archaeology. But what is it about the material culture? What is it about the objects that make Vindlana kind of globally significant? Well, it's mostly the organic objects. Um, so the wooden objects, the, the writing tablets, the um, other wooden objects that we have, as well as the leather um, textiles, those types of things, as well as the, the objects that often survive, the metal objects and such, we have at very, very good uh, preservation levels. So um, it's all preserved from one site and we keep excavating, we keep finding new things. So it's not stagnant either. So I think that's what makes it kind of internationally um, sort of significant in the, in the world of archaeology. And why? Explain, explain to people listening to us abroad, what is it about the geography of this site, the, 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 the chemistry of the ground that means we do have this preservation? We're in a wet, damp environment in rural Northumberland. We've got lots of heavy boulder clays. The Romans used those as building materials and as sealants. And it locks the oxygen out, locks the air that we breathe out, and it puts everything in a sort of archaeological deep freeze in that sense. So things that would normally rot away, completely disappear, just don't. They're there for us to find in almost the same condition as they went into the ground 2,000 years ago. And you just can't put a value on that because you're seeing the full range of stuff. You're not just getting a few dusty stones and bits of pot. You're getting literally everything they've left behind. And that adds so much context, so much color, so much life to everything that you're looking at and makes the data sets, the material comparable with a huge range of stuff. So it's the volume, it's the variety, and it's given us such a rich picture of the people who were here 2,000 years ago, a picture that we couldn't get reasonably from any other way. Tell me about your family's journey to this point now, because we're now in a giant, shining, gleaming museum, world-class museum, uh, and, we are, and, and there's this huge archaeological site, ongoing excavations every year, thousands of volunteers involved. That's not how it began. No, it began with a farmer's field, five pounds in the bank, some borrowed tools from the Durham University um, Department, no museum, 
no toilets. In fact, well, there was a toilet. It was an Alsan toilet, um, which had to be emptied by the director of excavations. No telephone line, no power, no water. And what happened in that field is that the team, the the first Vindalander team, started excavating a little bit of part of the site, and people got very passionate and excited about what was going on and came to visit. And were there humps and bumps there? Why why did you know you were going to excavate here? Vindalander was always known about as a site because the final fort here, number nine out of the sequence, made a significant mound in the landscape. But nobody had a clue of what really was going on underneath that. And it wasn't until really the early 1970s when my dad started excavating under the foundations of the stone buildings that he hit this incredible wooden underworld that, you know, information about this site and, and pressure and everything else just exploded with the finding of the first writing tablets, boots and shoes. And at that point, we realised we were onto something truly incredibly significant. I'll return about the writing tablets because they are the things perhaps that people will have heard of all the way around the world. I think what's most significant about the writing tablets is it's everyday stuff. It's not kings and queens. It's about socks and underpants, which was the first tablet that was found back in 1973, um, through things like a birthday party invitation. So it's uh, one woman inviting another woman to come to her birthday party in order to make her day more pleasant. I mean, these types of things, these these real personal um, sorts of information, um, things about kind of festivals that they're going to have, what kind of food they're getting in, everyday things. It's not some something that's just in a history book. It's about real people. It's personalities. And, you, you know, it's like a soap opera. Yeah. And you can get to chase people around this site over a 30 or 50-year period of excavation. We may find a letter 100 metres away from the next letter, but it may refer to the same person. And you then learn a little bit more about their lives, their character, what they're like. Uh, one of my favourite characters is a guy called Virilis. He's the vet. And we have a letter where he's writing to another vet, and he's really upset because this guy has borrowed his favourite pair of castration shears and hasn't returned them. And you have to think, well, all right, that's an event in his life and he's writing this angry letter. But think about it from their perspective. You know, if the doctor is out and you need to see somebody for a medical complaint, that day you have to go and visit Virilis the vet. And he's not in a good mood. So, you know, that starts to add that character and and life to the dusty remains, which you just can't get in any other way. And we're also finding out about the women and the children, and it's just not men that are that are based here. And the evidence that we're getting from the organic objects, things like the shoes showing us the size of their feet. Um, uh, you know, you can't say that a small kind of shoe was, was actually for a six-foot-tall um, Roman soldier. Yeah. It's got to be for a child. And so these people are living out their lives, um, doing the normal things that similar to what we do um, and writing correspondence and, and, and just building up their lives here. And not just in times of, of you know, dullness or, or, or general activity, also in times of war and extreme conflict. When we've got our Severan forts here and our big ditches, 50% or slightly more, 51, 52% of the footwear in those ditches during that conflict come from women and children. And these are people who lived through that conflict. They saw people's heads mounted on poles on the ramparts. They, their lives would have occasionally been under threat. And they are, again, a hidden part of these wars that we learn about in history books, the people who were really traumatized and had to live through it. So by finding their stuff, we can start to tell their story and also start to realize that they were actually there. They suddenly start to exist in the landscape where we had no evidence from them before. I'm just going to ask about these wooden writing tablets because that's the confusing. I mean, is it is it are they are they big chunks of wood on which people scratch notes? So how how what do they actually how do they work? They look like modern day postcards. They're about the same size, same thickness. 
They're made of little slivers of birch or alder, which are taken from a tree and then pressed flat and treated with the chemicals so you can write with an ink pen on them. And they have an ink pen, which looks like an old-fashioned fountain pen, which you can fill with ink. We've got a couple of examples in the museum, wood and iron. Uh, the ink is made of gum arabic and carbon and a bit of spit. So it's about as good as modern-day quink or another brand that you might want to use. And you can get two or three lines out of it. They write in Latin cursive script. So, and unlike capitals, it's sort of joined-up handwriting. And as Barbara was saying, it's everybody writing. Because to exist in a military landscape where the Roman army write everything down, you've got to learn to read and write too. To be fully engaged, you're a disadvantage if you don't do this. So they're teaching everybody to do it. Do you guys have a, a, a whiteboard with red string and every time you come up with a new character, you're sort of building this centuries-long soap opera of who's, who's who and who's going out with who and who's nicking stuff off who? We're getting, we're getting a huge book together on this subject and, it, yeah, it's just expanding all the time. A couple of years ago, uh, we found another 40 or 50 names. Last year on the excavation, we found something fairly prosaic, a Roman brick or tile, um, but it had another seven people's names carved on it. And that's great. You're getting thousands of characters, and it just gets more and more every year. Yeah, talk to me about the, the, the plans to go on excavation. How, how big is the site now, and, and how big do you think it can get? Well, we're going to keep excavating. We um, have another, we're in the middle of a five-year SMC, which is our, our consent to actually excavate. We probably have another 100 years, probably, on a, a small estimate on excavation. We have programs and ways of looking at how we have to expand for the storage and everything else for all these wonderful objects that we, we are developing and pulling out. Um, we have just uh, last year completed a new extension on the museum here um, to house the wooden underworld, so all of these wooden objects. So we, we're continuing to expand. We're continuing to develop. Um, we don't know what the future is going to bring um, because every time you put the spade in the ground, something new um, can come out. And this is seen every year because we don't know. Um, and that's the excitement from it is that, um, you know, Andrew goes up on site in April and I have to be ready for whatever comes out. I have to say when writing tablets come out, everything else in my life stops. They, they get first priority. And you know, that, that's, that's the excitement for it, you know. The, the tablets are so fragile, but the site stretches about a kilometre long down the side of a Roman road that we know of at the moment. And of course, outside of that, you'll get Roman farms and outstation settlements and other things which are associated. Of course, this is just one fort of 14 along the frontier. So in terms of how much have we got left to do? Thousands of years, so we better get cracking. Hey, I'm Don Wildman. And on American History Hit, my expert guests and I journey across the nation and through the years to uncover the stories that have made the United States. From first flight to first ladies, from stitching the star-spangled banner to striking gold in California, to shooting for the moon with Apollo, we've got you covered. Catch new episodes of American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit, every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful. 
Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember, when you use a messaging app, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage, add unlimited photos and videos, and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DANSNOW at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Now, that's something that struck me when I came here 10 years ago and had a chat with you because you told, I said, Vindland, it just must be totally unique. And you said, it's actually not. You think the other forts here in very rem- this very remote part of uh, England, you think the other forts could be just as rich. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And particularly those who've got the same long length of occupation. So they've got buildings on top of each other, taking advantage of our landscape and our geology and the Roman way of doing stuff. So the preservation we've got here certainly exists at Carlisle, exists at the Fort of Magna near Greenhead and and several other sites that we know of. These places aren't being excavated at the moment, but in the future, one would have to hope that they will be because the only way we can now compare what we've got at Vindolanda because the data set is so huge, there's so much interest coming from this site, is to look at another one of these settlements to, to find out, you know, is this truly unique or is it not? The mind boggles. Now, just talk me through, because the other thing that's fascinating about the Middle is this is this long, it, there's, a, there's a cavalry um, outpost here from before Hadrian's Wall. Uh, talk, talk to me about the end of Vindolanda, because I remember being very struck. In fact, you, you told me some of those harrowing, it's always stayed with me, uh, this, this, the story of the sort of blocking up the gates and stuff. Talk, talk to me about what happens when the Roman army leaves the wall and this part of Britain has start fending for itself. Well, you've got a huge power vacuum. Once the, once the soldiers are starting to be pulled out, particularly the field army in Roman Britain, and they are the real professional soldiers of the period. And the soldier farmers, the numerary, the, the people who have been left as frontier guardsmen at the end of the Roman period, they're just cut off, they're abandoned. Not just on Britain, but right across the Limes on, on the Roman frontiers of the Roman Empire. So they then form the nucleus of this new society, but they're on their own and they've got to look within themselves for leadership. And you get local warband leaders coming to the fore, people who take and seize authority and control and decide to hold down territories of these forts to charge taxes to people who come past the gates and to to use the landscape. And effectively, you've got those warbands holding forth in this area right the way through probably the 5th and into the early 6th century. And it would have been a very dangerous place to live. But they also serve a function. Their function really is to start separating out the various peoples who eventually become Scotland and England and the various different kingdoms of the 6th and 7th centuries before that. And of course, they help to stop Irish raiders penetrating from the west. And eventually, they are a little bit of a barrier to people coming in from these two. And they keep that Roman trade network, that route that Hadrian's Wall is, a linear route across the country, open for people who they allow to use. So interesting times. But of course, there aren't many of them. There are not 600 soldiers here. They're probably a community of a couple of hundred people. And so they have to block the gates up. So the forts like Vindolanda are no longer military bases. They become castles. They become refuges. And they become places where people fearfully 
look outside the walls and look to themselves rather than having a global view. It sounds like it could be quite a grim time. In terms of the collections here, is it exciting for you uh, as a curator? I mean, how, how, how significant, if you look at all any kind of equivalent museum from right across the Roman Empire, from the Middle East, North Africa, right up to here, how significant is the, is the material that you're able to handle here? Well, I have to say I love it. But uh, yes, I think it, it is quite significant. It shows that sort of breadth most well a lot of other museums they collect from multiple different areas multiple different sites so even some of our big national museums or some of the smaller museums they have um you know uh, composite compo yeah composite collections whereas here i think the strength um and the the reason that we were given our designated collection status was because we collect from a single site and the wealth of information about everyday people it's not just you know the the gold and silver plate that you get in a lot of um, big museums or, you know, the, the high shiny bits. It's it's that that everyday life that that what would be like if we were probably in Roman times, you know, if we were collecting what we have about ourselves. That's what we get here at Vindolanda. So the significance of the collection here is not only the organics that don't survive at other sites, um, but also that kind of breadth of time. And most of our stuff, it's, it's actually quite a short period of time that um, all of the organics come from, but it's the the actual sheer amount of them that, that is amazing. And um, everybody loves the shoes here. Um, I think that's one of those things. And I think it's because we can relate to them. We still know what a shoe is like. We still know what the, the difference between a good and a bad shoe. Um, if you have to walk a long distance, if the shoe is uncomfortable and you can start to look at the Roman shoes and say, ah, oh, well, that's really interesting. We can start to research the shoes by saying, well, if it's a shoe size, that person was probably this tall. This person um, wore the shoe out. Um, you can start to tell if the woman was pregnant by how she walks in her shoes. Um, you can start to see disabilities that come through, um, limps and, and how they're wearing them. Um, also things about stature. And it's, it's amazing. So the research that goes on behind the collection. So you can come and you can see things. And then it's the research that, that kind of boosts all that interpretation that the visitors are saying that is so important. And at Vindolanda, we try to, to as much as possible support that research. Well, let's go look at some of the objects. So I'm just looking now at a, a, a skull that's missing uh, two big holes on either side of the skull. Were, were those inflicted before death, do you think, or, or afterwards? Those are inflicted before death. They're battle injuries. We've got um, on one side, you can see where the skull's been bashed in. On the other, it's a sharp implement like a sword or a spear has gone through the skull. And then his head's been decapitated. And you can't see it on the case here, but if you flip it up, you can see the puncture mark under his upper jaw where the pole has been inserted to mount his head on the rampart. Local boy, grew up all his life in our region. We know this from the isotopic analysis on his teeth. Died sometime during the Severan Wars in Britain, so beginning of the third century, found in a fort ditch. But last year and the year before, we did pulled another one of his teeth, a couple of his teeth out, sent them for analysis, DNA work, and found out that on his paternal side, his father's side, he's Italian. So that makes his story just a whole lot more interesting. How on earth did he get into a position where he had his head cut off, mounted on a pole, on a rampart, to warn other people, presumably, you know, this is what happens to you if you mess with Rome. Oh, I've heard about these. Yeah, so what we're looking at here are two very different types of ultra-rare artifacts, Roman boxing gloves, original, beautifully preserved, made of leather boxing gloves from a cavalry barrack, was abandoned before Hadrian's Wall was built. How 
unusual is it to find boxing gloves from nearly 2,000 years ago in the UK? I, I can't overstate how unusual this is. These are the only surviving examples that we know of from the entire Roman Empire. Now, I, for some reason, I always associate this museum with, with shoes and socks. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got a big collection, haven't you? We've got a huge collection of footwear, but it's also really nice to get some textiles, some bits of clothing as well. And unfortunately, we don't have any Roman underpants or anything like that. But what we do have are several little bits of socks and this complete version here of a child's sock, which is made of stitched together, other little bits of cloth and clothing. And when you get something like that, you just get that instant connection with the people. We all still wear shoes and socks. We can relate to what we're looking at. And that's so wonderful. And shoes, what, a few shoes here. In fact, everywhere you look in this place, there are shoes. How many have you got? We've got over 7,500 shoes now in this collection. It's growing. Estimates vary on how many more we can find, but probably tens of thousands more. And again, each one of those artifacts relates completely back to an individual in the past. And so that's incredibly useful because we can learn so much about people from what they're wearing on their feet. And that might, is that unprecedented? Anywhere, anywhere else in the empire they find that, sort of, that, that amount of footwear? No. Uh, at the moment, Vindolanda collection of footwear here is the largest by two or three times the amount of its, of its nearest rivals, if you want to put it that way, from any other site in the empire. If you just tell me who you are. I'm Barbara Burley and I'm the curator for the Vindolanda Trust. And show me your favourite cabinet. Right, this one's my favourite because it's the jewellery. It's got all of the beautiful, kind of shiny, blingy bits, but it's also about their personal choices that they made and how they wanted to portray themselves. So at one end, we have the lovely jet objects that are probably imported from someplace like Whitby in North Yorkshire, and we have lovely carved ornaments there that they would have chosen to wear, all black, all gorgeous, through to kind of quite nice bright brooches and copper alloys and silvers with enamels and then at this end of the case we've got um, things like finger rings now lots of these you could wear today because they don't look that unusual um, in design but some of my absolute favorites is one of the silver rings that says matre patre which means mom and dad um, as well as we've got um, glass rings we've got gold rings the one that's in the center just there is the gorgeous medusa cameo ring so again showing that um, kind of uh, ancient sort of mythology and just normal everyday things we do have a few earrings they are some of the few bits of gold that we have in collection because we just don't get the gold you know that you wouldn't lose gold you would go and find it um, so we have very little do you, do you, does the jewellery, the smaller bits of jewellery, do you tend to find them down the drains? I mean, or, or are they just going to uniformly spread over the site? Uh, yes, a bit of both, often down drains. Um, that is a great place to find things, coins and, and small bits of jewellery. Um, we often find them um, scattered on floors, you know, so things like beads around floor surfaces, um, belt buckles and strap ends get just dropped, and um, intaglios, which are the carved gemstones, just fall out of the rings. There's a lot of wood in this room. How come this has all survived? Well, it's due to the unusual preservation that we have here at the site. Um, so it's oxygen-free, and that means that both the, all the organic objects survive, so especially the wood. Here's a great example of, of everyday life, a wooden toilet seat. Now, it's the only wooden toilet seat that has survived. There have been others that have been found, but unfortunately they haven't survived, and there it is. It's very utilitarian. It would serve its purpose, and it was actually found reused as a plank to kind of shore up a building. So um, it's, it's an unusual and interesting interesting piece uh, and I think the popularity of it is because we all know and understand exactly what to do.
So guys, thank you so much for welcoming me to Vindolanda. It's been as wonderful as I've always remembered it. Any, everyone's got a chance coming here and in fact getting involved. Tell me more about that. Yeah, every year we welcome four or 500 people to the excavations, to the research, museum volunteers, site guides. People, there are lots of different ways people can get involved. And over the next four or five years, there's a couple of thousand opportunities. You don't have to have any previous experience. If you're strong and healthy and you can push your own wheelbarrow, then you can come and join the excavations if you're over 16. So there is no upper age limit, by the way, and you can come from any part of the world. We teach you those basic skills so that you can learn to become an archaeologist if you wish and actually be able to take part and find and discover your own little bit of history. That sounds ace. How do people do that? All you need to do is look at our website, vindolanda.com. All the information that you need is on there or give us a call and we'll help you through the process. Also in one of the most beautiful parts of the world with lots of nice pubs nearby. So if you're listening to this abroad, definitely come and do it. Thank you very much, guys. Good luck for the, the plan. How, how many years ahead of seasons have you actually got planned? We're, we're always looking at the next five years. But to be honest, I say that sort of officially the next five years. But I've got a 10-year plan. And uh, yeah, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a good 10 years. But don't wait another 10 years to come see me because, you know, you'll have too much catching up to do. So, you know, come back in the next few and see how it's going. Certainly will. I'll bring the kids. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Just before you go, a bit of a favour to ask. I totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money. Makes sense. But if you could just do me a favour, it's for free. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you give it a five-star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review, purge yourself, give it a glowing review. I'd really appreciate that. It's tough world out there. Law of the jungle out there. And uh, I need all the fire support I can get. So that will boost it up the charts. It's so tiresome. But if you could do it, I'd be very, very grateful. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us, and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.